Okay, and we are live. Let's uh, make sure that we just give people a couple of seconds to come in. I'm just reading this out. Spread the word, guys. Share the, the Bible. I mean, not the Bible. What's it called? The gospel. Uh, about this show. So we have people in here. We already got people joining, which is great. And we already got a caller. So, Aaron, should we just take the first uh, our first caller? Yeah? Let's do it. No war. Good morning, Katie Good morning. and Aaron. Uh, first question is kind of more for Aaron. He's in a Commonwealth country right now, I believe. Aaron, you're still in Canada, right? Uh, what's been the reaction to the passing of Elizabeth in the Commonwealth and the ascension of, of, uh, of Charles? Anything different than in the States or anything uh, unique? Yeah, you know, look, um, there are people for whom um, the, the Queen has some significance, you know, uh, for reasons I don't quite understand. But, you know, that's just that's that's what it is. And so it does get a lot of attention uh, in Canada. And um, uh, I don't know, for some reason. It's, but it's just, again. I come back to like why, like why, why is officially in Canada the the monarchy is the head of state, which is just so funny. But um, I don't think that's going away. People seem to like it. So you know, uh, other than that, I haven't paid. I, I haven't paid attention to it. Is she on the money there? I forget. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, yeah. yeah. We have coins in Canada for like you know for like two dollars or one dollar. Two dollars. Yeah. There's the loony and the toony. Um, and uh, the queen is on those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's really a loony and a toonie? <laughs> that, that's what it's called, a loony and a toonie, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, the loony is $1, the toonie is $2. Wow. Yeah. Um, oh, I should have – I'm sorry for your loss. It's true. You as a, as a commonwealther. Thank you. In a different way than me. Thank you, Katie. Thank oh. you. Thank you. Sure. I sympathize yeah, it, with you as well, Aaron. I feel sorry for you, man. It's, thank you. Thank you. It, it, it was tough. awkward during – it was awkward during the show today where Katie did not express her condolences. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had to sit there. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. God there was a royal Katie. royal fuck up on my part. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, hey, I have one other question. It's a little bit... Uh, I'm not sure if you'll answer it, Aaron. It's again for you, Aaron. Um, Jackson's been making... Jackson Hinkle has been making some pretty... Uh, serious claims against Ben Norton online lately regarding his departure from the gray zone. And I know you're a diplomatic kind of dude, Aaron, and I respect that. Uh, is there anything that you want to say about these claims that he's been making about Ben's departure or are you going to stay out of it? Um, I respect either decision, but I, I am curious. I think Jackson's been kind of running his mouth in a way that I'm not sure is appropriate. Um, I, I haven't seen what Jackson said, but, uh, regardless, no, I don't want to get into it. I will say Ben's a friend of mine and I really respect the work he's done and, um, and I wish him the best and he's, he's doing great work at, uh, his new website, Multipolarista. And, um, you know, I, so I don't know, I know that they've had some differences, those two, but I just, I don't, I don't, it's not my business to, to get into. And I, I don't like to, I'm trying to avoid all of these, uh, spats these days i've spent enough time doing it like uh and it's to me it's just uh it it doesn't serve anybody fair enough i i suspected you would 
uh, offer their sentiments similar to those. So uh, thanks for taking my questions this morning, guys, and thanks for your time. I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Thanks. Maria. Hi, Maria. Just unmute yourself. Okay, there you go. All right. Uh, well, good morning to the both of you. Thank you for uh, taking my call. Hello? Hello? Maria, we can't, you're unmuted, but you're not making any noise. Um, sending better. Um, okay, Maria, why don't we come back to you? Because you're there, but you're not making noise, so. Okay. Mahatma. Uh, Mahatma, unmute yourself by pressing the mic icon at the bottom. Okay, you're unmuted. What's going on, I Mahatma? I hope it works. I hope you hear me. <laughs> yeah, we hear you. Yeah, we hear you. That's great. Oh, I'm really nervous. I've never called into one of the shows before, but I listen a lot. Oh, great. Thanks for calling in. And I love Ben Norton. <laughs> He's done some great work, like Aaron said. Yeah, I agree. What do you think about them limiting commercial flights for foreign leaders? So they have to come in to London for this thing by commercial flight and they're saying no helicopters. I didn't even hear about that. Uh, wh why are they doing that? I, you know, it just popped up on Yahoo and it made me laugh a lot because I remember after the Super Bowl, I think it was, 400 private jets left LA like within four hours or something like that. And hmm. I guess they're like wanting less of a fleet of private jets in London. Huh. I so don't know. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? What do you um, think of the decision? I think it's um, interesting that the most like well-off people in the world, I call them the plain rich, P-L-A-N-E, yeah. The plane rich are going to have to be inconvenienced when they come in for their their big send off for the queen. And, right. you know, and then asking them not to fly around in helicopters is kind of like grounding them. Yeah, so, I like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like anything that inconveniences them. I know. <laughs> I just was surprised because, like I said, the Super Bowl, nobody stopped anybody from doing anything as they right. flew off all over the world. And, and here now they're going to let them come in, but they have to come in slowly, kind of like a commoner or something. Right. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Maybe but they I want it to be more dramatic. I want to spend more time praising you, but I enjoy you guys so much. And, um, Thanks. See, and that wasn't... Shows. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. And that wasn't scary, right? Calling in? Oh, no. And, no in fact, for me, the biggest nerving thing was to get on because yeah. I've seen so many people fail at the unmute portion of the program. Oh, and right. Get it in. So I'm glad to make it, and uh, I hope everybody survives this, you know, queen send-off. I hope yeah. it all goes well. Me too. Thanks, Mahatma. Bye. Bye. Okay, Nigel. Nigel, Judge, maybe you're actually from the land of the queen, Nigel. Let's see. Unmute yourself by hitting the mic icon. Nigel, you hit the mic icon, which is the bottom right. 
Okay. Um, Nigel, we'll get back to you. Uh, we're going to take Greg, but Nigel, come back. Okay. Hey, Greg. And Greg, just unmute yourself. Okay. Greg left. Maybe this is a little, uh, wonky today. Okay. Uh, stupid. I'm not calling you that. That's your actual name. Stupid. Unmute yourself. Nah, the, the thing calls me. Can you hear me? Yep. They just automatically took stupid. So you go, go with the throws. Yeah. All right. We're doing it. My question is kind of weird. In the context of Ukraine and Russia conflict, no one ever takes the side that they might be in on it together. I believe the 2014 war and this war for the same reason that the Ukraine is poorly because they have these big old mining cities like two miles from each other on the east side, like in Donbass, and that the war for both sides encourages people to leave and so that they can remake the economy so it's sustainable. And the reason they do this is because they always do war for economy because neoliberalism is like the radical exclusion of politics from the economy. So this would fit with their thing. Do you think it's possible that they could be working together like they did during the Cold War? So you're saying that the U.S. and the U.K., uh, the U.S. and Russia are both in on this war kind of in concert? Yes, they're in on it because they're not actually ideologically opposed because they're both neoliberal regimes. They're simply competitors. Uh, well, I mean, Russia is certainly kleptocratic. Uh, and, uh, you could, yeah, they do have a neoliberal quality in, in a certain respect. But, no, I don't think they're in on it at all. I, I do think, ultimately, they're geostrategic foes. And uh, the U.S. particularly wants to take out anybody who is a threat to its global hegemony. And Russia has been a major target for a long time. And uh, The problem yeah, I'm discussing a- happens before their geological uh, foes. It happens before even Lenin was in charge. They built these huge mining cities that they got rid of <laughs> when they industrialized, and they're all next to each other. So they need to re- destroy the country to remake it. They need to uh, destroy Ukraine to remake it, you mean? It's it's easier to de-industrialize with war than it is to do it through economic policy. It's faster. Yeah, look, listen, uh, you know, um, thank you for sharing your your view. I I don't share it, but, uh, you know, look, I um, certainly... What I'm saying is it's probably not true. It just opens the possibility since no one will discuss it. Right. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing it. Thanks for calling in. Okay. Uh, Dave. Dave. How's it going? Good, you? Uh, I'm doing well. Um, I'm, I'm calling back in because uh, I called in a week or two ago and I spoke to Aaron and uh, we had a, a, a good conversation and, and Aaron, you pointed me to some reading that I needed to do that I was unaware of um, that I have now done and I just wanted to come back. I apologize for the dog. I just wanted to come back and bring some things to you and uh, ask some follow-up questions, um, if that's all right. Um, this was in, and I, and I think the last time I was on the show, I did not do a great job of making my question as clear as it could have been. So apologies for that. And uh, I do want to reiterate what my original question was, just to make it clear, and then Aaron ask you a, a more direct question. Um, my question originally was regarding the characterization of the 2014 Maidan um, revolutions as 
U.S.-backed coups, um, and specifically about the word coup versus revolution. Um, and you had pointed me to some work by uh, Ivan um, Kachinovsky. Um, and I, I've read his work and I've listened to an interview with him, and, and I realized I might not have made my question um, clear to you when I came across the fact that uh, um, Ivan himself doesn't refer to 2014 as a coup. Um, he does not go that far, and he does think that it has elements of a revolution. So my follow-up question, Aaron, I, I think maybe it's most helpful for me to get an understanding of your view um, to start by defining those terms. And what do you think the difference between a revolution and a coup is? Uh, a revolution is when there's like a, a popular mobilization with, uh, you know, I think you can say the majority of the country, masses of people uh, overthrowing a government. A coup is when you have a relatively smaller faction uh, violently overthrowing a elected government and doing so against the will of um, the majority or a sizable uh, amount of people inside the country. Okay, and so on that first part, um, the majority of the people, um, how vital do you think having a firm majority is? And I, and I will just also include the context of, I think that there are some revolutions that we all kind of agree are revolutions that might not have had those majorities. Like, for example, the one that comes to my mind immediately would be um, the American Revolution, in which there's quite a number of loyalists who were, were in the United States at that time. And quite frankly, not that many uh, people in the colonies who fought in those revolutions. It's kind of a small percentage of the overall population. Okay. Yeah, look, look, I don't want to get into a long debate with you again, because I think we debated this already, right? The, the Like we talked, like we, t we had a long discussion about Ukraine and the coup there. And you're saying it's the coup is, a, is the wrong term. The fact is, uh, yeah, I, there was I a think so. Oh, and, hold on and a second. I, hold on. Hold sure. on. Hold on. Sure. Speaking. There was a democratically elected president. His name was Yanukovych. Big protests erupted against him in the fall of 2013 when he didn't sign an EU deal or he, he delayed signing an EU deal. Um, those crowds at a certain point dissipated and left behind was a movement of far right fascists as they now take credit for. And it was them with U.S. backing who overthrew the government. And last time I told you to look up what I've already written about this, which is Ivan, citing. Right. No, not. No. Uh, well, you, I told you you, sent me Ivan, hold on a second. Actually. Hold on. Okay, listen. Listen. Uh, let me finish. Uh, I told you to look up Ivan Kachinovsky, not on his definition of a coup, which uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I mean, I, I don't care if he calls it a coup or not. What I told you to look him up for was him talking about who was responsible for the Maidan massacre which you yes. were saying was caused by the government. I was saying it was caused by uh, the far right fascists and his scholarship, I think proves that conclusively. Well, what I told you, well, hold on a second, no hold, evidence, on, hold, on, yes. hold on, hold on, hold on. What I told you to look, uh, look up uh, when it comes to whether or not it's a coup was what I've written on the topic and citing people at the time, including scholars in the Washington Post who pointed out that the Maidan, uh, the Maidan coup rev like revolution, whatever you want to call it, did not have the support of the majority of the population. And at the time, the president that they overthrew, Yanukovych, was still the most popular political figure inside the country. And that the people who overthrew the government at that point was a minority of the Maidan crowd, uh, which I've documented in what I've written about this in my articles on Substack. So that's what I told you to look up when it comes to the issue of this being a coup.
Right. And and I noticed in your response right there, you you used revolution and coup interchangeably. Is it a difference without a distinction for this specific 2014 in your mind? Is it a difference without a distinction? No, I I think it's a coup. You think it's a revolution. So when I'm when I was uh, using those terms, I was trying to respect both of our definitions. OK, oh, I, understand. Uh, I think it was a far right coup as members of the far right in Ukraine take credit for right. it. Right. And and so the fact that Zelensky is um, the current standing representative of that government that was reinstated and the fact that he's widely supported in the country, the fact that the the protests were widely supported and millions of people were on the street, you think that coup is the better word? And, you know, if, when we think coup, we think Myanmar, right? What just now, happened? Okay, okay, again, I've already explained my... Uh, okay, we're going to move on. I've already explained my position. I said... Initially, the protests in Maidan, there were a lot of people there. They had a lot of support. People were against corruption by Yanukovych, and they, and they also wanted closer ties with the EU. Right. The distinction I drew, though, was the actual events that overthrew the government. And at that point, the crowds had dissipated, and left behind was a far-right contingent who wanted a violent overthrow of the government. The people protesting in the streets in in the you know tens of thousands hundreds, hundreds of thousands whatever it was were not calling for a violent overthrow of the government they wanted closer integration with the west and they were against corruption they were calling uh, for the resignation of yanukovych though not and, and not, that not true not the in terms of the people who wanted a new government that was not a there was not anywhere close to a majority of the country and i've cited polls on this uh from that time which, but then with the definitions you're using, we have to go back in history and apply this to all the other revolutions. You have a 1979 okay, um, I don't care. Iranian coup. You have a you have yeah, a 1700 sure. American yeah. coup. And all these revolutions uh-huh. have to now be rewritten with these standards that you're using. Uh, look, in, uh, yeah, Iran was, you can call it a coup, but also that was against the government that had taken over from a, from a, uh, from a government that it overthrew in a coup, you know? Uh, and so the point is, t- Ukraine in 2014 overthrew a democratically elected government. The U.S. was on the side of the fascists, and the U.S. helped pick the U.S. helped pick the new leadership. And we're going to leave it there, uh, so we can leave room for other callers. But thank you for calling in, Maria. Maria, I'm Maria. Okay, there you are. Is it any better this time? Yeah, we can actually we can hear you. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you for taking my call. Good morning to both of you. Hello, good morning. Uh, I hope you had a lovely and restful long holiday weekend last week. Um, but something, something really disturbing happened last Sunday. Uh, usually CBS Sunday morning is kind of a safe place for me to kind of relax and learn something new about the world but they had this full feature and i think they interviewed an executive from lockheed martin and they were just gleefully talking about all the wonderful things about the warheads they're sending to ukraine and it just was really disturbing that they were just joyously talking about how it 
the targeting system was so easy and so accurate, an 18-year-old could use it. And wow. I, I, I've never been mad at CBS Sunday Morning before, and it just kind of, it really made me stew in my juices for a while. After I saw that, I was I was mad at them. I mean, is this really the kind of thing we want our 18-year-olds to be thrilled about in the United States? Is whether or not, you know, they're qualified to use, you know, the targeting system for warheads? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, just... That's just... It's too bad we missed that one. Go back and look it up. But that's, uh, and they've, was it CBS, Aaron, last time? I can't remember the, I think it was uh, ABC who had a Lockheed Martin person on. But I'm glad that they're doing more uh, PR. Well, I I just thought maybe, maybe it's time to add CBS Sunday morning to your repertoire of, Sunday reviews. Oh, wow. Okay. Another show. Well, yeah. Yeah. Do we uh, CBS? It's called, I think. Which one is that? There, yeah. There's a show before uh, Face the Nation called uh, CBS Sunday Morning with uh, with Jane Polly. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, listen, we'll, we'll look it up. Uh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for the recommendation. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Maria. Nigel. Hello. Yes, it is. Hello. Hi. Hi. How you doing? Good. You? Very well, thank you. I really enjoy your all show. You do a great job. I don't know how you sit there and watch all these uh, shows and put up with them. I'm uh, curious as how you get them to tackle issues that are important. They won't. By definition, they won't. They cannot. They they are um, lackeys for the ruling class, and so they can't, uh, by definition, touch on issues that actually really hurt the ruling class's interest. I mean, they can do you know, like the best they can do are the issues where there's disagreements between the ruling class. So abortion, you know, uh, and um, and rights for LGBTQ people, they can do that because there there's a split in the ruling class. Right. So they're allowed to represent one faction. But on issues such as like, you know, uh, a decent wage, labor rights, environmental standards, uh, war, allowing on a dissenting point of view is pretty close to impossible. Yeah. Okay. I just... And that's why we're here, you know, just to make fun of them. It's kind of like the best we can do. But the, um, the idea that th- they could actually change and to and cover something substantive is just it's that goes against their like their mandate. Yes, they had uh, Kamala Harris on, and they're sitting there saying, "Well, she's in charge of immigration." They don't say what she's doing to improve it. They don't ask about how things are going in Jackson, Mississippi, about what's happened with their flood and their water. That's right. And the happenings going on there. Nothing. Nothing substantial is addressed in, in any of their conversations. But y'all do a wonderful job, and I really appreciate you guys taking the time to uh, 
entertain us and bring up some good points. I'm glad we got it cleared up on uh, the difference between a revolution and a coup. I think your patience was magnificent dealing with them, but good luck with that. <laughs> Thank you Thank for the you. call. Thanks for the call. Okay. Thanks, uh, Stupid is back. All right. Well, should we should we let someone else talk who hasn't spoken yeah. yet? Let's go to let's go to Curl. Hi, Curl. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Aaron. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Um, I just wanted to kind of comment and get your guys' thoughts on the um, the Clinton interview you played earlier, where kind of the premise of the question was a little odd to me that they said, "Oh, can we? Is the rule of law?" going to go by the wayside because Trump is such a threat. That's where we start the questioning. Really? (laughs) That seemed kind of crazy. Like it's like, um, Oh, I don't know the prime directive from star Trek where they immediately break (laughs) the rule every single time. And it almost seems like it's not even manufacturing consent anymore. It's manufacturing a state of emergency, this constant state of emergency where we constantly have to break our ru- the rules of our democracy. Anyway, love your guys' show. Thanks for having me on. That's my question. So, okay. Um, what do you think, Aaron? I, uh, sorry, I missed the question. Uh, it was well. Actually, Curly, still there. Your question is why set up the question to Hillary. Yeah, the uh, the question basically being like, why are we starting from a place of how can we break the rules because this person or that situation or whatever it is, Trump is an existential threat or Russia is an existential threat. We're constantly starting from a place of how can we break the quote unquote rules we have because we're always in a state of emergency. Everything's an emergency. Trump question though, did it really? Well, it was, it was essentially, they were asking her, um, what needs to win out the rule of law or Trump being such a threat that we need to, um, you know, kind of bend the rules or break the rules in order to get rid of him or his supporters, or it was a very vague and I just kind of caught that, like, what? wait a second, what? This is where we're starting at? That's how the discussion is going to start? Yeah, I mean, everything's about the rules, right? Like, uh, the, um, the, the Biden administration loves to talk about the rules-based international order. And, uh, I mean, what they mean, what, what everyone wants is, you know, in, in amongst our rulers is just like, like an, a normal... Uh, empire, a normal, a normal hegemonic system where, you know, we go back to like the two factions of the ruling class, um, pretty much having similar policies, but pretending to have sharp disagreements and to have someone who's not like Trump, who's so, uh, who's so obnoxious and so brazen and sometimes blurts out the truth. Like you're not supposed to say we're in Syria to steal the oil as Trump did. You're supposed to say we're there to fight terrorism, you know? So that's, these are ultimately the rules that everybody wants to restore is just like orderly uh, oligarchy, uh, not someone like Trump who's too erratic. That's, I think, where the obsession with rules and all this stuff comes from, um, both in, in domestic and international politics. 
understand uh, the the idea that you would want to, you know, if there is an ex existential threat, then you would need to make, you know, exceptions to rules. But everything is an ex existential threat. You know, uh, it makes me think of, oh, Taibbi's book where he talked about the Holder Memo, where it's like, well, there's going to be these external consequences and we're going to govern or rule with those in mind you know what i mean and again i just think philip k dick thought crime what's what's going to happen 15 steps down the line and it's like wow they're just really really doing a bad job of a predicting and b uh actually governing anyway that's all i wanted to say thanks guys thank you thank you okay um CG. I mute yourself, please. Um, all right, we're going to come back to you unless you can unmute yourself. To unmute yourself, you just hit the bottom right um, mic icon. We're going to make Jason the next caller. Jason. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I, I want to let Aaron know I'm actually uh, just entered Canada. I'm on my way to Montreal. And uh, do you know if like, they're going to replace all the money? Put Charles the third one? <laughs> Great question. I don't know what's going to happen to the money. I think that's a... I think that would be uh, a pretty big production. Yeah, it's premature. It's uh, it's premature. So no, I, I, I think that would be too big a production to replace uh, the Queen on our currency. But you know, listen, welcome to the country. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So far, good. Uh, I'm not super impressed with Tim Hortons coffee, but. Uh. That hurts. That, that hurts. Yeah, that hurts. No, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's no. the same with Canadian Dunkin' Donuts. Yes, it is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, uh, on a little more serious note, um, the professor that got in trouble, um, uh, what is it, Carnegie in Pittsburgh? Uh -huh. On Twitter. Um, yeah, what do you make of that? I guess, like, um, wishing bodily harm on a dead person does that really go against you think the policy of violence what was this i'm sorry what was that what was i missed this what was said oh um she said something to the fact that um she wishes the queen's death was painful mm. you know and she got in trouble yeah, she got in Twitter jail for it. Well, to be fair, it's not wishing ill on the dead because they're, I mean, she was alive. Well, whatever. I mean, just to, if we want to talk about the, and on a purely philosophical time travel level, but um, what is she a professor of? I, mean, I didn't know. Uh, I didn't really dig into the details. Um, I just saw she tallied out and like I said, pretty sure it was Carnegie out in Pittsburgh. Um, she got a lot of uh, flack for it. You know, the school scolded her, but she got thrown into Twitter jail. I just thought maybe, you know, it was a little 
reactionary, even for Twitter, to, to be disparaging a already deceased person. Well, to be fair, it's yeah, I guess it's, it's not even despair. It's wishing a painful death on someone. But I guess it's there. So. Okay. Philosophical question. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Gray area, I guess. But anyway, thanks for your time. I hope you guys have a good week. Thanks, you too. Take care. Bye. Okay, let's see. Tom. Hey, y'all. Um, I um, wanted to just raise a couple of Ukraine things that we don't seem to talk about. Um, you know, that Yanukovych was in the middle of, uh, if you want to call it a coup, that's fine, I suppose. But, uh, uh, you know, a large portion of the Ukrainian society revolting against him twice in 10 years, uh, that he was never in a national election, got more than 48%, and that he jailed his his opposition for four years while he was in office, which was, you know, at least uh, public facing was one of the things that they, the EU took, uh, took uh, exception to, uh, you know, along with their wanting some political reforms, like not jailing your opposition. Uh, and that, you know, it, it, it's, it's a little curious to me that we also don't look at this from like the Putin perspective of he screwed this up at just about every opportunity. I mean, even the Yanukovych government was saying, you're charging us three times market for gas. Uh, we can't do that. We can buy gas from Germany. We can buy Russian gas from Germany cheaper than you'll sell it to us, which is what pushed them into the whole EU negotiation in the first place. And then, of course, you know, there's a narrative that says that uh, Putin threatened to take away the Russian market for them, which is, of course, very important as an export market. And that is uh, why they removed themselves from those negotiations and then Maiden happens. Uh, so, you know, I, I feel like although he was democratically elected, he was never very popular. I mean, he was elected with 48 percent of the vote in the runoff, um, you know, was clearly uh, highly, I, you know, I don't I don't like to call people puppets of other people, uh, but uh you know, was clearly highly influenced from the, from the Kremlin. I think that's fair to say. Uh, and, you know, since he has been out of office, they've had, you know, what, four elections, parliamentary elections in, uh, you know, quote-unquote Russian parties that lean toward the Russians don't necessarily fare as well as they did before. So, you know, I don't think anybody disputes that there was a far-right element in, in Maiden, but uh, you know, I find it really disturbing that we kind of tend to uh, just call it. Oh, it was a it's a Nazi revolution. Or it's a Nazi Nazi coup. Um, you know, that, that's uh, kind of uh, removes the humanity of the people that started that. The activists on the ground who were there on December first of two thousand thirteen, and I think that that's uh, overstating what actually happened. Okay, well, look, I don't want to get into it again because. Uh... I debated it earlier, and we did it, we've done it on previous shows. But I'll, again, I'll just say, and I said this earlier, I totally recognize that there was masses of people who were not fascists who started off the Maidan protests. That's very true. There's no denying that. What I'm saying is those who led the coup, the overthrow of Yanukovych, were far-right fascists. And everybody knows that. That's not disputed. 
that was the core of the uh, people behind the coup. Um, and that's who came to power. If you look at the, the cabinet in Ukraine after Yanukovych was left, a lot of cabinet positions went to people from the far right. That's just true. Um, it doesn't. Right. It, it doesn't. It, it doesn't mean that everybody who protested in, in Maidan were fascists. Uh, my point is actually that the character of the protest changed by the end, and it's the far right elements that led the coup. And the coup is different than protests calling for uh, integration with Europe and against corruption. And Yanukovych, by the way, I think tried to play both sides. I, I don't think he wanted to be just tied with Russia. He wanted to actually make a deal with the EU. The problem is the EU presented him with terms that would have, would have been impossible to accept. They wanted him to cut uh, subsidies for people, pensions, and that for him would have been political suicide. They wanted classic Western neoliberal austerity. And when he rejected that, that's when the West turned on him. Uh, and that's when he then made a deal with Russia. I think he wanted very much to make a deal with Europe, but Europe made that very difficult. But look, regardless... It's, you know, um, it, it's the we have a war now and there's been a war going on for the last eight years. And I think the U.S. has played a huge role in fueling all of that. Uh, and Russia, sure, sure uh, you know, I'm like Russia's made plenty of mistakes and has had bad policy. But it's I'm concerned as a citizen of the West with the Western role in fueling all this, which I think has been pretty, uh, pretty major. I, and I don't, I don't dispute that. I just, I, I, I feel you often underplay the, you know, when you, when you're kind of, uh, when you're reporting on this. And and I do respect you as a reporter. I'm not coming at you like some other people might. I'm not saying, you know, anything that you're. I think that people that try to say that you're paid from other people, specific people, are are disgusting, and I think that's revolting. Um, but I do think that you do underplay kind of, you know, what the Russian role is in in all this. And and I wish you wouldn't. I wish you tell a complete story i agree we're from the west and we should be most concerned about that but i i, I think you sometimes don't tell the whole, the whole story and you're more than capable of doing so okay well thank you for calling i appreciate it uh amanda good morning morning I hope you both are doing well yep um so just a couple of quick things. First, of course, thank you for doing the work that you do, both of you, because you have highlighted some folks that are doing work in the independent media space that I wouldn't have known about, but for you. So that's the first thing. Second thing, as I was watching Hillary Clinton being asked that question, she just had a bobblehead and almost like a... You know those dolls who eyes closed when they lay lay down? She she just looked, it was, she was just really waiting for the end of it because she already knew what the question was. She's like, get to the end, (laughs) nodding, right? (laughs) Um, One of the things I noticed, though, I I, want to say Curl and Nigel, I I agree with what they had said about it. and And I think that she, what she said was, she answered all the questions that were asked, but she didn't say she answered them truthfully. And the implication was that Trump wasn't answering all the questions he was asked or he was doing it not truthfully. And I think when you look at a politician at that level, 
you have to also look at what they're not saying. And I, I totally appreciate that you guys do that kind of thing all the time. So th that, that, that's all. Bobblehead Clinton. Bobble Hillary. Yep. Okay, we're going to take John. Hi, John. Unmute yourself. And to unmute, you hit the um, mic icon at the bottom right. Uh, okay, come back, John, because we want to hear you, but we can't. I'm okay. sorry. My, my phone acted crazy. It cut me out of the application, but I could still hear you. I had to restart it. Yep. Are you there? Okay. Um, yeah, I just, um, well, you guys know I, I love uh, just about everything you do. I don't always agree with everything, but you guys are doing it. Um, I especially wanted to um, commend Aaron for actually appearing uh, on the Vanguard uh, because I personally canceled them from my YouTube feeds uh, ooh, about a year ago or so. I, I can't even recall. But um, uh, one caller expressed that um, you had some patience, and um, it, <laughs> it was really uh, fun to see you on that show. Um, I only caught it because of uh, the due dissidence uh, feed. But... Um, yeah, that was just uh, amazing to um, to stand up to nitwits who want to uh, just, you know, parse things and play technicalities and just the nonsense. Uh, there's so much of that these days. And um, so I appreciate it. Um, and uh, Katie, you did uh, uh, a show with... Uh, with Aaron's colleague, uh, Max Blumenthal, uh, that was just fantastic. Thanks. So, um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to say that. And then I just wanted to also say um, I read uh, Chris Hedges this morning, and he talks about the uh, crimes that were committed during the Queen's term. And um, when you sort of combine that with the, uh, the typical uh, media fawning uh, that they do, um, and I think we've talked about it before with other, you know, such wonderful people as uh, Colin Powell and so forth. Um, what What is your feeling on that, um, how they're uh, completely whitewashing the uh, history of uh, what England has done and some of which occurred during her reign? That's the question. Thanks, you guys. Love you. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It's pretty typical. Um, and actually, I'm definitely going to read the Chris Hedges piece because I've been wanting to read something that goes through that. I'm not an expert in the monarchy at all, but I know that obviously she was involved in, you know, she was pressured along that she saw a lot of uh, shady stuff to say. But it goes with the territory, as you said, like with Colin Powell. All right. Uh, let's take case study QB. 
Hey, hey, what's going on, KD and, and Aaron? Much love to y'all. <clears throat> I just have a, a a question I would like to ask y'all. You know, as we uh, do, we see a lot of reporters asking for how you're going to pay for money for, you know, student loan forgiveness, student loan can- for can- cancellation. But I see, I just clipped today um, a clip and I'm having fun with, you know, the verses the music verses that's out there, I'm, I'm calling it a news verses where you have two clips um, compete or versus each other. And basically I clipped today a, a clip of America. It was announced that we're about to send $3 billion more in aid to Ukraine. And then I, I mashed it with a clip that I clipped um, about 10 days ago of MSNBC uh, was asking uh, Ro Khanna, how are we going to pay for the, the money cancellation for student loan debt. So my question to Katie and Aaron is if we finally get a reporter to ask anybody, you know, any politician, anybody, Biden, press secretary or something, Hey, how do we pay for this aid going to Ukraine? I'm curious what you think would be the response. I think they'll be like, uh, well, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. That's the classic answer for, Mm. Uh, I think for politicians, we can do both. We, uh, you know, we support uh, Ukraine and its fight for freedom. And this is the yeah. cause of, you know, this is the price of democracy and freedom. And, you know, um, yeah. but that's the thing. Yeah. You, they, they never, they're never asked to explain that question, how we're supposed to pay for uh, military mm-hmm. spending. It's just taken for granted, like, like the air we breathe that, that we yeah. do. In the, in the case of with um, Ro Khanna, um I kind of cut it, early in, in that video, but um, he actually went on to talk about how he would pay for the um, the cancellation with, you know, he wanted to tax the rich. He was like, hey, I'll let any Republican join us in um, getting rid of the, the Trump tax cuts. Like, he actually explained some kind of uh, rationale or how he would pay for it. Do you think that um, there would be pressure if uh, somebody did respond and say, well, we're going to pay for this Ukraine aid with taxpayer money or we're going to raise taxes on it. Do you think that um, that might build some kind of pressure on them? Uh, absolutely, for sure. Mm-hmm. If, um, yeah, if if the wealthy were ha- w- would have to fund these wars that they otherwise have no problem with, yes, I definitely think that that would mm-hmm. uh, change things. But, you know, and that's the that's the problem. These things are not an option. I mean, there was talk before about Biden reversing Trump's tax heist, you know, like Trump's yeah. only achievement really was to like hand more money to the wealthy uh, w- with the tax cut bill. And that's kind of been abandoned. Uh, they just don't go after the wealthy in the same way they don't yeah. go after Pentagon spending. Yeah, 100 percent. All right. Thanks. Uh, and Katie, I didn't let you talk, but you could uh, I'm going to jump out while if you want to comment on this. No, I, I think that's uh hmm. It was good. I'm excited to see your reel, and everyone should follow Case Study QB on Twitter because it does great clippings of the media. We use them a lot on uh, both Katie Helper Show and also on um, we use them a lot on YouTube. Thank you so much. Much love to you and much love to the chat. Adios. Bye. All righty. Let's see who do we got next. Ramona. Unmute yourself, please. 
Okay. Uh, let's see, Ramona, uh, unmute yourself. You hit the bottom right symbol, the mic symbol at the bottom right, mic icon. Uh, but we're going to, oh, there, you unmuted. Can you speak yeah. now? Hello. Hi. Yeah, we can hear you, yeah. All right. Well, I just wondered if either of you recognize who the ladies in my icon picture are. Hold on. No, they look like jets. <laughs> well, it's from the uh, late 1800s. It's uh, Clara Zeitkin, Zeitkin rather, and Emma Goldman. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah. Anyway, and um, other than that, yes, I've enjoyed all your content, and I have been rewatching Fahrenheit 9/11. Oh, nice. um, yeah, because that's it seems to be happening all over again. Anyway, yeah. and also looking at a, an ex-colleague of Aaron's, uh, Paul Jay's interviews with people involved in 9-11 reporting and investigation. Anyway, thank you both and for all the callers. I appreciate it. That's a highlight of my Monday. Oh, Bye. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Charlotte. Charlotte. Hi, Charlotte. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? Yep. Hi, I'm a little nervous. Um, I, I, it's my second time calling in. I guess I mostly just wanted to thank you guys for what I perceive as sort of pushing the kind of left-wing alternative media, maybe more to the left or to be more critical in the issue of foreign policy. Because I, I have a lot of, I follow a lot of other alternative media and I love, you know, Brianna and I listen to Crystal and Sagar a lot and even Kyle and I, I've noticed that it's often your guys' voices, along with Max, um, who maybe kind of push the debate on, on foreign policy a little bit more to the left, in my opinion. Um, so I really, really appreciate that. I remember when Brianna had on Matt Dust right away with the Ukraine uh, war, and I was you know, disappointed by that. And I wrote in the comments, ah, please have Aaron Mate on. So I just really appreciate I I really think that's a significant thing that's happening out there because of your guys' um influence so i want to i want to say thank you for that wow thanks well thank you thanks yeah for uh for some reason foreign policy on the left is it's like it, it's such a um there, there there's so much kind of drama around it people get scared so quickly just by being called names like I just, you know, like, the, like the power of calling someone like an apologist for like whatever the whatever the foreign bad guy is, it really deters people from speaking just yeah. rationally and honestly about um, these issues. And uh, I've been really struck by that. Like Syria, especially, it's just really, really toxic. Like anybody who dissents from the uh, the party line is just viciously attacked, and you know. I came late to the Syria debate. I, I sort of stayed out of it. I didn't really understand the Syria or like I, I didn't fully understand it until relatively late. And so just experiencing it in the last few years has been really, um, it's just not very pleasant. And people, people pointed this out long before me, just how toxic it was and how impossible it was to have a dissenting point of view. And, and you don't find that on domestic issues. Like people disagree on whatever, like, uh, strategy and like whether to push the Dems left or whether to leave the Democratic Party, have a third party, but it just gets a lot more vitriolic when you get into foreign policy for whatever reason. But personally, and, that's, that's my favorite topic, so that's what I think. 
it's mine too. I remember I'm I'm Canadian. I remember meeting Jack Layton a couple of times when I was young. I was like 10 or 11 and trying to bring up like, oh, Israel, oh, foreign policy. Katie, I'm a red diaper baby like yourself. So that's why I was into that topic at that time. Aaron, I just wanted to ask you, do you think uh, I'm, I'm a Concordia grad myself? And I was wondering if your time at Concordia, I, I might have seen the documentary Discordia. I don't know if that trial by fire kind of helped you have a thicker skin for, like you say, like the name calling when you speak about foreign policy. Is that how you see it? Uh, yeah. And, you know, I saw it growing up like my my dad was re- always very outspoken on political issues like he. um you know, like the, the, the terror wars that Reagan uh, conducted in Central America. And he was also very outspoken on, on Palestine. And I saw it just like within like, a, you know, like the Vancouver Jewish community, how he would get called all these names by, you know, calling him a self-hating Jew and all this stuff. And I was, I just saw how ridiculous that was from the start. So I think that helped me become kind of uh, like, you know, like, to whatever extent that's an issue. Also, Noam Chomsky, too, like one of my yeah. uh, big inspirations. Also, just he would just, you know, just from the start, like his attitude of like, who cares what people call you? It, it just doesn't matter. And you have to trust that people out there, anybody who who's acting in good faith will see past all these, uh, you know, smears and all that stuff. So, yeah. Um, but it's just it's just like it's still energetically. It's not pleasant. It's still just it takes no. up too much time. Like, but whatever. It's it just how it is. And uh you know, hopefully the left can get better. I mean, the um, there's very little debate, uh, unfortunately, still on foreign policy issues. Like, I would love to have the chance, for example, to debate Matt Dust, the Bernie Sanders advisor who's pro-proxy war. But he would never do that, you know. Um, and that's too bad, I think. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Aaron, can you explain what the 40th thing is? Oh, I went to uh, Concordia University in Montreal, and um, the, there was like the uh, this one year Benjamin Netanyahu came to speak at our school, and there was a protest, and it turned you know um, a window was broken. Some people call it a riot. I don't think it was actually a riot, but it was a big protest. And so uh, then there was a documentary made about all that, which I was in, and uh, I hope nobody watches it. Uh, please do not watch it. Right. <laughs> I'm only screening of it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, William. Okay, William, I'm the guy can read the screen. Okay. Uh, Sean. Hi, Sean. Just unmute yourself by hitting the, yeah, there you go. Did I make it in time? Yep. Oh, okay. Gosh darn it, by now I totally forgot what I was gonna say. Oh no. Give me three seconds. Sure. Oh, no, lost it. I'm sorry right. guys, I'll try oh, again when it comes back. Yeah, come back, because we have <laughs> let you back in. All right. Thank you. Snarf. Snarf and William and whoever that is, I just forgot his name. That's Snarf, unmute yourself please. Hey, Katie. Hey, how's it going? Good. I'm going to make a simple request. A long, long time ago, we spoke, and you mentioned you were interested in a book club, and I'm still waiting for the Katie Helper book club. How are you going to compete with Oprah? Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to have to do some 
books from her. No, don't steal her books. I, no, I have I a couple of suggestions yeah, for like what? small books that yeah. I think are easy to read so that this way you can like actually motivate people to read them. Yeah. And I think they're relative to the subjects that, that you discuss. Um, I sent you a message and I can send you some of the titles, but I would really like to, to, to be a part of that because I'm a fucking nerd and it's just in my nature to want to read. And I think, I think you, you, you're good at probably inspiring some people that are like, Oh, you know, reading's difficult or I have a short attention span or I need Adderall to read, you know? Uh, so I think it'd be really cool if you, if you got behind that. Okay. Yeah. And wait, did you email, uh, did you message me on this or on Twitter? Or? Yeah. I messaged you on here. Okay. I can message you again. I, I have a couple smaller books, like they're digestible and they're not written by people that are just kind of like way too out there. Like I would never tell you like, let's read Baudrillard or anything like that. Like it would be simple stuff. It would be, and it would be under like, let's say a uh, hundred pages so that okay. people can fit it in. And the good news is that they're probably books on audio so that you know, even the people that are like, oh, I'm not reading anything. I'll just listen to books on audio. They can right. read it as well. All right, great. Well, I'll, I'll check your messages. Okay, cool. Bye. Okay, okay William. Hi, William. Can you hear me, Katie? Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, yeah. The la it's sometimes the app kicks you out. You probably know that. That's what yeah. happened before. Okay. okay, so I'm going to start the big picture and as quickly and concisely as possible come down from macro to micro, whether we're talking politics, economics, um, courts, you know, the legislative, executive, judicial branch. Aaron, I've talked to you before about this a while ago, about the corruption in the judicial system, trying to bring forward lawsuits as a pro se litigant. Uh, we're not in the club, as George Carlin says, and uh, uh, we, we don't stand a shot. But moving on from that, um, I don't hear enough, in my opinion, uh, regarding the World Economic Forum agenda, which is all over their site regarding the Belt and Road Initiative, the 2018 report, and then 2020, which is a shifting narrative. Um, it clearly uh, indicates uh, basically shifting the economic uh, powerhouse and manufacturing to China, uh, which of course started with, uh, if you remember, all remember Ross Perot, NAFTA, NAFTA, you don't want that. You're gonna hear a giant sucking sound or jobs are gonna go to Mexico, then to Asia. Clearly that's what's happened. We've had the, you know, NAFTA, the Beijing Free Trade Agreement, the Asian Free Trade Agreement, the TPP, and we've lost millions and millions of manufacturing jobs in this country. I don't the countless supportive jobs. In other words, here in Bridgeport was an old manufacturing town, all outsourcing. We're urban decay sacrifice zone. You know what I mean? Uh, Paul Newman, who lived yeah. in Westport, referred to Bridgeport as the armpit of the nation <laughs> to give you an idea. And this has happened all over America. Um, and I and I, if you listen to the narrative on WEF, you know Klaus Schwab. Uh, well, Yaval Harari, uh, it's about um, you will own nothing, have no privacy, and be happy. And they actually have a video that says that, as you may know. But I'm not hearing enough of this, in my opinion, in the media and of the World Health Organization narrative, which um, uh, 
I challenge, and in fact, you know, let me quote you something real quick because obviously corroborating evidence is important. The vaccine journal just, oh, Jimmy Dore, by the way, you know, Aaron, is in, and Katie is very much on this whole COVID vaccine issue. And I like, let me just say, thumbnail version, I line up with him. I've, I've talked to him a couple of times on calling, but the recent study out, I don't know if you heard this or this was even covered a couple of days ago, vaccine journal regarding serious adverse events of special interest following mRNA COVID-19 vaccination in randomized adults actually cited thumbnail version that for men uh, under 30, that the vaccine had a higher incident of adverse events and death than COVID. That, and specifically, we're talking heart issues. And so what's relevant and important here, this, these studies have been out for a while, but this is uh, by the Brighton Coalition, which is approved by the World Health Organization. So finally, we get the WHO sort of acknowledging what statistics and a lot of do good doctors have been talking about. Okay. Well, I'm sorry, did you want to add yeah, something? I'm sorry. Well, we're going we're gonna, to um, um, move on because we have other callers and, and we're almost done the show today. So um, just uh, you, you have 20 seconds to wrap it up. Okay, jumping over to the courts, then you know Jimmy Dore where he's coming with. We have Dozinger, the great civil rights attorney. Look what happened to him. And if you know that story, I'm sure you do. We have the movie Civil Action, which is depicting a real story of well poisoning by corporations in Woburg, Massachusetts. In other words, this is a we don't have a representative democracy clearly, and 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 Sabi Sabs and I've talked a lot about this. She's like, I'm not spending eighty percent of my I shouldn't speak for her, but a lot of people are deciding not to spend all their time on them on on that and more on helping people at the grassroots. Okay. The last thing I'll Got say it. is yeah, well, thank you, thank you for the call, thank you. Okay, and uh, uh, plug. Covers Donziger all the time, so make sure you subscribe to youtube.com slash the Katie Halper show because I interview him all the time. Not all the time, but a lot. So, okay, Matthew, go ahead. Matthew, are you there? Unmute yourself by hitting the mic icon at the bottom right. Hi there. Hi. 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 I called because, uh, I did get an update, I guess, about that situation, Katie, uh, when I was talking to you on your show about uh, Lisa LaFlamme. She just got hired by uh, City News, uh, Canadian, uh, one of the news channels down in Canada. Uh, just an update of that situation, because that, that just made news like a couple of days ago, uh, which would have probably been about a week after we spoke on your show, uh, the Katie uh, Helper show. Maybe. The Katie Halper bump that got her the job. <laughs> that that's awesome if that's the case. Uh, I, I was like the Colbert bump. <laughs> exactly. all, all jokes aside, um, actually there's been some information that's been called fake news by uh, routers and a number of news media organizations, and it's about the Queen's legacy, about her visiting a residential school in. Uh, Kamloops, where it's alleged that a bunch of kids from one of the Kamloops residential school uh, were kidnapped by the Queen and her uh, husband, Prince Philip, uh, back in 1964 around September. Uh, I looked online to find some information about it, and there was something from back in 2010 where somebody 
uh, on, I think, Daily Coast posted some information about it. Huh. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what to say about it there, but I don't know how these media organizations go around verifying what's real news and what isn't when, some, when uh, sometimes it's erasing other people's uh, re- memory of that day in Kamloops where those kids yeah. went. Well, there's definitely a lot of uh, fake news on the fake news. So like, fake sure. news, yeah, like snow, you know, things will, or like the fact, the same infamous Glenn Kessler at, um, at the Washington post, who's like a total ideologue and pretends to be a fact checker. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's yeah. I I've noticed. Yeah, it's just I don't know how to say because when I when I've seen a number of native people on social media sharing this story and they're being told it didn't happen, it's yeah. like, and I I found out that one of my friends her, or one of her partners um had a cousin that was one of the kids that went missing allegedly. Mm. Wow. Matthew, so thank I, you. I don't really know, and I'm hearing like different accounts of it because I, I live in an area. I live not a few hours away from where the Kamloops Residential School is, and right. had knew some people even went to that one, uh, possibly during that same time frame of 1964. It's a it's a terrible issue that we're only still starting to reckon with, uh, and. Um... It's awful, and and the stories that come out of these residential schools are just, and the abuse that Indigenous people suffered is just, it's just, it's it's terrible, and we don't even know the half of it, you know. So Matthew, thank you for the call, and we're we're gonna go to search for our last caller. Okay, sir. Hi there. Hi. Hi how are you? Yeah. It's okay, yeah. Now yeah, I hope yeah. you can hear me. Yeah, sorry for calling in so late. Uh, I really wasn't going to, but uh, one of the last callers brought up a topic that I really like. And I know that for you, Aaron, um, the whole WEF topic is kind of a little bit irritating. But just uh, in a few seconds, I wanted to say uh, that uh, in the last seven months uh, of this war, um, you know, we had zero talks about COVID and, um, uh, you know, prior to war, uh, the COVID topic was very, very relevant and we had uh, some very strict quarantines. We had uh, regions separated uh, by different quarantine zones, and uh, my my region Zaporozhye was mostly in the red zone, meaning that we couldn't uh, participate in any social events, visit cinemas, and uh, etc. And the you know the general theme of this whole thing was that we were all uh, basically required to uh, take the jab and um, use the official government app called DIA to register your 
vaccine certificate and basically regain all your basic human rights in this way because otherwise uh, you couldn't visit uh, any social events and uh, well you were basically ostracized from the uh, social life but ever since the war started the whole COVID agenda was kind of very rashly pushed away and you know nowadays no one requires masks no one requires uh, proof of uh, vaccination and certificates everyone just uh, you know makes it look like it never happened and like we weren't under very strict quarantines and it was so strict that uh, the mayor of the Nepal city famously said that in his speech to people he famously infamously said that don't worry people we will dig enough graves for everyone so uh, you know yeah the it was very very grim but uh nowadays it's like it never happened and i don't hear anything about any new cases or and you know you could say that it's because there's something more significant going on in the country like war but i don't know i just think that it's very strange and uh yeah yeah uh putin cured COVID, basically that's what yeah, happened. So yeah. we can yeah. at least thank him for that. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I guess that, that should be all for today. But thank you so much for the calling, as usual. And thank you, I'm sir. Very glad to hear. And we and we hope you're doing okay in uh, in Ukraine. Um, I'm coping. I'm coping. Yeah. 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 It's a it's a hard time. All right, everybody. We're gonna wrap it there. Thank you to everyone who uh, tuned in and called in. We. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Use floodiots.substack.com. Katie? Yeah. And we'll see you next any, week. Any parting words? Same time, same see place. See you next week. Yeah. See you next week, same time, same place. Thanks, everyone.